Hey folks, welcome back. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host and the managing editor of Bless Your Boys, Brandon Day. I'm going to be flying solo tonight. My girl Ashley McLennan's pretty busy with life stuff, so I'm going to take your questions. Um, and before we get into the Q&A portion of today's events, um, I'm going to talk about a couple little subjects. And then, yeah, we'll get into your questions. Um, you guys responded to the post pretty well. There's some really good questions in there. Um, some of the questions I got via Twitter kind of raised similar points. And so we can probably just run through the questions in the comment section and pretty much have things covered. Um, yeah, so that'll be the theme tonight. going to chat a little bit about kind of what's been going on with the, um, the fan base and local media reaction to the particularly brutal start the Tigers have gotten off to. And then, yeah, from there, we'll move on and start taking your questions and call it a night. Tigers have an off day on Monday. Um, most of the farm is off Monday, so it's going to be a quiet day. Um, I, I'm going to take that and uh, try to get some golf in because I have a golf event next weekend that I have in no way prepared for. Um, we're going to be playing up at the Gales up in Oscoda region of Michigan. Um, anybody who's familiar with that course knows that if you're not prepared, you're going to get your butt kicked. Uh, but that's all right, because if you are prepared, you're going to get your butt kicked. So we'll just see how it goes. But um, yeah, so we've got a little bit of time. We're going to talk about these things. So let's get into it. All right. Topic number one is the fact that the entire fan base and yes, um, sports talk radio, local media, Basically, you know, anyone who pays regular, semi-regular at least, attention to the Detroit Tigers suddenly popped the red pill over the past couple weeks. And that's largely, you know, as a result of the Tigers' play on the field, particularly the offense. Obviously, the bullpen hasn't been good at all either. Um, there's been a whole lot of holes in the bullpen. Even a couple of the guys that we depended on haven't particularly performed well. But what this really comes down to is the fact that the Tigers were just terrible for about three weeks there, um, couldn't buy a hit to save their life. And so pretty quickly, you know, you're hearing sports talk radio hosts screaming for Al Avila to be fired, um, the fan base, you know, raging against Chris Illich, um, the lack of spending, um, people have blamed Miguel Cabrera, people are angry that there doesn't seem to be, you know, a great hitting prospect um, at Toledo to call up. And this is all a good thing, I think. Obviously, since the teardown began in 2017, not everyone who writes for Bless You Boys, I wouldn't say the entire staff, but most of the staff has been of the opinion that the Tigers should have gone and tried to get themselves a young up-and-coming general manager, hiring a, a vice president of you know player development or scouting from a progressive, very successful organization like, say, the Dodgers, the Rays, etc. You know, the, the usual suspects. And have themselves a, a general manager who is already familiar with how to build a modern organization, with how to implement processes for player development, scouting, all those different aspects of team building, and devise, you know, a, a comprehensive approach from the analytics department to the actual coaches who are working with the players, to the scouts who evaluate talent, to the people making the draft decisions or the um, player acquisition decisions in general and unify and integrate that whole process. 
this is something you know that, that we see so much with a whole bunch of different teams, but the Dodgers stands out to me because the Dodgers have certain types of hitters that they know how to fix. You know, they have certain things that they'll implement with different hitters, whether it be a leg kick or simply lowering their hands. Um, they've got ways of, of helping guys out with their approach. And we see again and again, they draft a similar style of, you know, relatively fast infielder who maybe doesn't have particularly good defensive skills, doesn't show a whole lot of power, but has contact ability um, and a little bit more discipline. Obviously, the Tigers like to draft for, for contact ability or what they think is going to be contact ability. But the Dodgers are very good at finding a player like that and then making you know a, a certain set of adjustments to their swing and to their approach and getting more out of those guys. And that doesn't mean they become major leaguers necessarily. Um, Gavin Lux hasn't exactly got out to a great start in his career, but he's a good example of a player that a lot of a lot of scouts and a lot of teams seem to have some issue with when he was drafted. Um, they didn't want to take him where the Dodgers did, but the Dodgers understand through, because that they because they develop that type of player well, they can then look for that type of player in the draft and find values there. That's the sort of thing that we've been wanting the Tigers to do, um, among many other things. And, you know, the Tigers just have shown no sign of being able to, you know, integrate those those processes so that they can, can develop players, at least in certain ways, and then carry that approach back to player acquisition in the draft and in their scouting department and find players that sort of fit that mold and hopefully find some bargains. Um, maybe, you know, maybe that something like that will start to happen. Um, the Tigers finally did the right thing and admitted, you know, that for the past... Well, for the first four years of Alavila's tenure, they had the wrong people in place. Um, they had Dave Littlefield as director of player development. Um, they changed the, you know, the 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 pro scouting department around um, two, I think, two years ago, and that's started to show some benefits. I think, you know, we saw in the the 2019 and the 2020 draft that the Tigers seemed to have a little bit better process, um, seemed to find a little bit more value in the draft and generally, you know, drew better grades overall for the way they drafted in those years. But this took a long time to get there. Um, and this is just kind of what we've been saying. Even if you want to believe that they've sort of figured it out and they've started to, you know, find competent people in player development and in the coaching department and in the scouting department and are going to do a better job going forward you're still dealing with the same, you know, couple guys in charge who let this go on and on like this for three or four seasons where, you know, almost nothing happened in the farm system. You know, other than the Tigers picking high in the first round and doing pretty well at that and landing Tarek Skubal, Tarek Skubal, excuse me, they, you know, they just haven't really found a whole lot else and they weren't able to develop any of the players that they got in the Justin Verlander or J.D. Martinez trades yet. Um, there's some other smaller deals that they kind of let pass through their fingers. And so I, we think it's very much appropriate that Alavila should be on the hot seat. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time screaming and yelling for Alavila to be fired anymore because it just doesn't seem, it's certainly not going to happen during the season. And I just don't really know how much attention Chris Illich is, is paying to this, but it is good to see the pressure being put on there. What my problem with, with some of what I've heard is a lot of the blame seems to be falling on the fact that, you know, Miguel Cabrera is struggling and is owed, you know, $32 million each of the next couple seasons. And I just want to reemphasize that that is not the problem with this organization. Um, you know, 
the Illich family could comfortably spend, you know, another 20 to $30 million this year and then still go way up to, you know, $150, $160 million. Um, there's plenty of money available. Miguel Cabrera's contract isn't really stopping them from doing anything. And they don't have themselves a first baseman really anywhere in the system until you get down to, you know, West Michigan, where you've got possibly Bryant, you know, Bryant Packard on the one hand as kind of a, a little bit more of a long shot. And then you've got Spencer Torkelson, who the Tigers are playing third base a lot of the time, but who ultimately I think is, is pretty well guaranteed to end up playing mostly first base when he, um, when he makes it to the major league level. And, you know, so there, there just isn't really a first baseman there. Um, I don't think Miguel Cabrera is going to hit terribly all season long. He was pretty good last year. And what I'd like to see them do is, yeah, just just keep letting him go out there and play first base. You know, if he happens to get hurt, you know, it's not a big problem. Um, he's going to be on the, the injured list quite a bit this season, like he, you know, typically has been the past five, six seasons. And, you know, he's happy to play there. He's probably your best defensive first baseman. And when there are ducks on the pond, you probably still want Miguel Cabrera at the plate more than just about anybody else on in the lineup right now. Um, and yes, that is kind of a condemnation of the team building aspect that's gone on. But I also feel when I hear this many people upset with Miguel Cabrera, a sense of scapegoating. And I don't know that this is necessarily coming from, you know, the Illiches or from Alavila or the Tigers, but, you know, some of the beat writers, um, you know, some of the, the sports radio personalities in town really like to harp on the Miguel Cabrera problem, you know, as though it were a big problem that was holding things back. And to me, that's just team propaganda. Um, Miguel Cabrera has very little to do with anything. We're going to ride this contract out. That's just the way it is. Perhaps, you know, when the Tigers get to the point where the Los Angeles Angels are right now, where they're actually trying to win, they've got a lot of young talent to go with, you know, Mike Trout and some other, you know, talented veterans there. They just reached a certain point where if Albert Pujols wasn't willing to, you know, do what was best for the team and play part-time, they just couldn't do it any longer. Um, his contract was going to expire this year. And, you know, you kind of hate to see it go go down that way. Um, and I certainly don't begrudge any of these guys their money because, you know, Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera were woefully underpaid um, all throughout their prime years. This is the way, you know, MLB teams run the business. They're the ones in charge of running the business. They're the ones who don't want to pay up front and so backload these contracts. They're the ones who don't pay, you know, the young players much of anything um, compared to, you know, the, the average major league salary. And they have it all set up that way. So it's all on them. Um, I don't have any sympathy for the fact that they have to pay Miguel Cabrera $32 million this year, next year, and in 2023. Um, that's just too bad. Um, I don't want to hear any complaining about it. I don't want to hear Miguel Cabrera be the scapegoat in some way. Um, to deflect attention from the fact that, you know, Chris Illich and Al Avila are in charge of this train. Um, Miguel Cabrera has very little to do with it. The other issue with a lot of the commentary that I'm seeing from the more sort of casual side of the media who don't follow the Tigers, you know, carefully or closely the way we would and the way a lot of our readers would is that a lot of what's making people upset right now is the Tigers' record and their play on the field. And obviously, when you're watching a team flail like that at the plate, um, waste good starts, blow games late with bad defense, bad bullpen work, all that is very frustrating. But when we look at, you know, who the culprits are, 
again, it's not things, it's not players and it's not issues that are going to persist over the next couple years. And so they don't really mean a lot. And what concerns me is that when Jacoby Jones and or Victor Reyes or Jonathan Scope all start hitting closer to their, you know, their career norms and the Tigers are putting up, you know, better performances, winning games more regularly, winning some series. And yes, this is all going to happen. This Tigers team is not going to be the 2003 squad unless there's just a catastrophic series of injuries to the starting pitching staff, which you never know could happen. Um, we've seen a lot of injuries in baseball so far this season. We always do, but um, there do seem to be more than more than normal, particularly for position players going on right now. And maybe some of that can be traced to the fact that you know a lot of them didn't play last year or only got to play a short 60-game season, um, aren't in the shame, aren't coming into the season in the same ready game condition that perhaps they normally would be. Um, you have to think that on the on the flip side of that, there are some guys who probably needed that time off and, and should be healthier as a result. Um, the early part of the season is when we typically see tons and tons of soft tissue injuries. Guys are playing in the cold. They're not loose yet. Their bodies aren't quite acclimated to the travel and the whole, the whole rigmarole of being a major league baseball player. And so a lot of that is probably what's going on going on right now. But yeah, as far as the Tigers go, the problem is not Jacoby Jones. And if Jacoby Jones starts hitting and Jonathan Scope, you know, puts up a 90, 95 WRC plus with 20 home runs, 25 home runs, the way you'd expect, and the Tigers play better, that doesn't resolve any of the issues um, for which you, you rightly should have Alavila on the hot seat. And that's my concern is that when you see a lot of the the criticisms from people who have just suddenly kind of woken up to the fact that this isn't really going as well as the Tigers have been advertising. And I don't want to be a punk, so I'm not going to do it, but we could go back through, um, you know, interviews with Alavila and Chris Illich in 2019 and 2020, where, you know, there's a whole bunch of happy talk about how they've turned the corner and now we're in the build-up phase and, you know, things are going to look a lot better on the field and how they appreciate fans sticking with them through a couple rough seasons, but not to worry you know, the light ahead is, is you know, not not a train, but uh, a build-up into another successful era of Tigers baseball. Well, right now it doesn't, uh, none of that looks very good. And, you know, that's where the focus should lie, is with things that are going to matter, you know, in the next couple years. Not with Miguel Cabrera, Jacoby Jones, you know, Victor Reyes, Grayson Griner even behind the, the plate, as much as it might frustrate you, doesn't have a whole lot to do with anything that's going to go on. Jonathan Scope's not going to be here in 2023, 24, when hopefully they're doing something again. So when you pop the red pill and uh, recognize that this, this rebuilding effort, such as it is, um, hasn't gone great, just remember where the real issues lie, because it's just going to be so easy for you know the Tigers to win a series or two in a row and all of a sudden all of this this complaining and all of these super hot takes um, from sports media locally are going to cool right down again and everyone's going to go back to, oh, well, we've got to be patient. You know, it's a process. Things are coming right along. And um, nothing has changed. Uh, the, you know, the Tigers farm system needs to have a very good year. There needs to be some guys who, de- who develop, who pop. We've seen a few few little flashes of that so far. But, um, you know, I just invite you to take a look at the the pitching in the Tigers farm system. Because after Matt Manning, you know, you've got Alex Fajardo and you've got Joey Wentz out. And beyond that, you know, it's like Elvin Rodriguez, 
Kyder Montero, you know, Carlos Guzman is back, um, had a rough first outing, but he's back down in Lakeland, um, a right-hander who has some potential. And there's a few other arms that might pop. But when you look through the rotations, you know, at, at Erie and at West Michigan, there's just not a whole lot of talent there. Um, when you look through the roster at Erie generally, it's Riley Green and a bunch of guys who are, you know, veteran minor leaguers, you know, guys who are 26, 27, 28. Um, you know, it's all it's all family men there around Riley, which is kind of kind of funny. And that team will probably put up, you know, put up pretty good numbers because most of those guys have already played at t- at AAA. Um, some of them have already had, you know, little tastes of the major league level, but just aren't prospects. They're not guys who still have the time or the ability to really develop into something more than they are right now. So they may beat up on a lot of other double A teams. Um, you know, you're seeing Jacob Robson down there off to a, a really hot start. You know, Jacob Robson was in triple A as, as late as, you know, late 2018. He's, he's seen much better pitching than he's going to see the, in the early going down there. So we can't get very excited about, you know, a lot of those things. And with Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal now graduated, the farm system isn't particularly good. Um, you know, it's it's maybe a little above middle of the pack, um, but you've got Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, and we love those. Um, that's two very good position player prospects. And you got Matt Manning, who's a very good pitching prospect despite the fact that he has apparently abandoned the new little slider that he was working on in the spring camp, which is vexing me to no end because Matt Manning needs to get a harder breaking ball together. Um, without that, like all, all the projections for Matt Manning have to be revised downward. And he's pretty much got this year to figure something else out in that regard because the curveball is okay. And the, uh, and you know, on its own, it might grade as a plus pitch, but it doesn't, doesn't feature and pair very well with his fastball. And then he's got, you know, a solid changeup. But um, to pitch at the major league level, you've got to be able to pitch backwards. You've got to have a pitch that you can spot for a strike without getting it beat out of the park. Um, You know, you've got to have some kind of an off-speed pitch or something to deal with opposing-handed hitters. And Matt Manning still, you know, hasn't made a whole lot of progress in that regard since, say, early 2019. Um, So that's another, you know, another element to watch right there. But what the farm system really needs is for, yes, some of these guys like Nick Quintana, Parker Meadows, Andre Lipschitz, you know, some of those guys need to have sustained success this year. Cody Clemens looks like he was off to a pretty good start before he hurt his arm. Uh, He should be back fairly shortly. Those are the guys that matter. Dylan Dingler off to a really nice start. Already has a triple and two home runs, Um, has thrown a guy out at second, is showcasing really good pop times. Um, we've also seen him, him back pick a couple times already. Um, seems to like to throw the ball uh, aggressively. Love seeing that from a catching prospect. So there, there've been some good notes on the farm in that regard so far, but that's where we need to keep our focus. Um, and in terms of, you know, acquiring more talent this year, hopefully at, at the trade deadline and actually finding something, um, and trading guys when, you know, when they're valuable and actually getting something for them has been a major flaw as well in the Avila regime. You know, they could not develop James McCann behind the plate to save their life and eventually just cut him for nothing and didn't even bother trying to replace him with a, you know, another decent option. They just played like John Hicks and Grayson Griner. You know, they picked up Salt Lamakia. They picked up Austin Romine for one year to give them some stability there. 
But their goal should, through those last three seasons in 2018, 2019, and 2020 should have been developing their young pitchers, um, the pitchers who aren't likely going to be around in two or three years, thinking of Matthew Boyd, Michael Fulmer, Daniel Norris, Joe Jimenez, etc. And basically those guys got hung out to dry. Now, there are other reasons why they weren't able to deal those guys for a whole lot of talent. I mean, Michael Fulmer's had injury issues. Um, Matt Boyd had a super hot start in 2019 and then completely fell apart um, for for long stretches of the second half and into 2020, but they haven't been able to get anything out of a lot of those guys. And they didn't do the small things that they could have done to help them be better. They also wasted a ton of roster spots on guys who just had, you know, had no chance. Um, John Hicks being a, being kind of a good example. Um, you know, Ronnie Rodriguez at least was athletic, um, had plenty of flaws and you didn't really think he was going to work it, work it out. But maybe he was at least worth, you know, worth giving that time to. Maybe Mikey Matuk was worth giving a year to. But some of the other guys were not. Um, you know, Nick Castellanos, they basically just blundered into ultimately just giving him away for, you know, a, a decent starting pitcher in Alex Lang, who now looks like he might be a, you know, a pretty good reliever. Um, still looks like he's going to have problems throwing strikes and, and commanding everything. But at least they got something there, but not much. Um you know, Anthony Castro, a guy who the Tigers dithered around with in the minor leagues for years, kind of bouncing him back and forth between starting and relieving when it was pretty obvious he should have been a one-inning reliever who could just throw his two best pitches. Well, they didn't protect him from the Rule 5 draft in 2019, and the Toronto Blue Jays picked him up. And, you know, I don't know that he's going to have a great, you know, great season with them, but he has been off to a, a really good start there. It's another, just another little, little waste of a, of a player right there. So all those little details, like all the, all that minutia that we love to track here, but that, you know, more casual observers of the Tigers and of baseball generally don't pay a lot of attention to that. Those are the things that matter most. What matters most is not, you know, the Tigers win loss record this year or how, you know, guys who are 28 or 29, 30 hit, you know, it's uh, most of that is irrelevant. So just to get that uh, just to get that out of the way, we'll uh, start with that topic, and now I will start dipping into your questions, and we'll see what you guys have for us. All right, because it kind of touches on the previous topic, I'll start out with Mr. Sunshine's question: um, If Jose Ureña and Matthew Boyd keep their current season trends, do the Tigers trade or perhaps gasp, even extend them? And if traded, what should it be? What should the return be for players of that caliber? I would have to say that the Tigers would probably trade them both. I mean, if you could get, you know, take a look at, at fan graphs, for example, because it's the one that's most easily publicly accessible. Um, you know, B-Pro does a good job. Baseball America does a great job. Prospects Live does a good job. Um, Prospects Live is also available without a subscription. Um, I would encourage you, however, to check out Fangraphs and uh, and buy a subscription if you're super into this kind of thing in general because they need your support right now. Um, but then I, dig I digress. Yes, I mean, I think you have to trade them both. Um, you know, Matt Boyd is going to be a free agent after the 2022 season. If you can get something solid for him, you know, a 45 future value type player, I think you've got to do that. Um, it would be nice to see the Tigers do the smart thing as well and try to get a throw in with some kind of a teenage pitching prospect who they find projectable. Um, you know, picking up teenagers at, at the back end of those deals is one of the ways, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays in particular 
although the Astros, the Blue Jays, a bunch of teams that have been pretty good about good at this, um, is is the best way to, to really land a steal. Overall, I'd say talent evaluation has the the gaps between teams' evaluations of players has closed a lot over the last four or five years because there's so much more data and so much more video available. Um, it's just harder to land land someone who is you know who comes out of complete left field you know as a 21 or 22 year old. Um, people know who those guys are even if they haven't fulfilled their potential and there's some, you know, some bust possibility lurking, they know who has the tools who might be able to figure it out and they're going to value them as such. So it's gotten a little bit harder. I mean, I think if, if Boyd continues pitching roughly the way he is, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably worth even a bit better than that. Like you should be able to get like a Jamer Candelario for him um, because you're also getting an extra year of team control. But he's also going to have to carry this performance through for, you know, the next two and a half months um, to convince a team that he's actually figured something out. You know, when I look through Matt Boyd's stuff, I think there are there are some pretty good signs that he has actually taken a step forward. Um, the movement on all of his pitches basically is improved over what we saw last year and in some cases substantially. Um, you know, he's getting... I th- two and a half inches, I believe, less drop. I'd have to go look. Less drop on his four-seamer. Um, he's getting more depth on the slider. His changeup looks better. So there, there are some real, you know, tangible long-term signs of success. Um, it's not just that he's, you know, he's been a little lucky and hasn't given up as many home runs as he normally would. Um, I still think as the season goes along, you're going to see Matt Boyd start to give up some more home runs, but you may also see him you know, pick up more strikeouts. Um, the slider is still very good. Uh, he actually, he hasn't gotten as many whiffs this year, but he's also been just kind of smartly keeping the fastball out of the zone. Um, you know, he's throwing it all around the edges and he, and he doesn't mind if he misses with the fastball, um, except for getting that first pitch strike. Um, that's something that Chris Fetter and AJ Hinch are just hammering, you know, with every pitcher and every hitter, at the Tigers level and throughout the system is to win that race to two strikes. And um, we've seen a lot more um, first pitch strikes from quite a few Tigers pitchers as a result. We haven't necessarily seen as many of the hitters taking things into deep counts, but we have seen some examples of, of that. Um, we just also have, have seen guys like, you know, Akil Badu after he, you know, kind of the hot streak cooled, um, Nico Goodrum, Willie Castro. Those guys have gotten into a decent amount of two strike counts. At least they had when I looked mm, three or four days ago. But, you know, they haven't been coming through, you know, in those deep counts. Once they've had two strikes on them, they haven't been able to cash it in very often. And that's kind of the way it goes. Um, You know, once the pitcher has two strikes on you, you've got a problem. And that's the same reason why they've emphasized so heavily the pitchers throwing strikes early in counts and then being willing to bait, you know, hitters around the edges and not waste pitches, hopefully. You know, the idea is to be all around the zone in counts where the pitcher has to swing or the hitter has to swing and protect the zone and not make those mistakes over the middle. So far, Matt Boyd hasn't made those mistakes over the middle. Um, Casey Mize has. And one of the reasons why I remain pretty confident about Casey Mize having a pretty good season this year is that, you know, there are certainly some issues with the splitter. Um, It hasn't been anywhere near as effective as probably people feel like they were led to believe. Um, It's been very inconsistent. But a lot of the damage that's coming against Casey Mize has come when he's gotten guys down 0-2 or 1-2 
and then, you know, throwing a pitch right down the middle. Um, learning how to miss and to not make those mistakes and to use the edges and off the edges better is, you know, a part of, of all good pitchers development. And I think, you know, it doesn't really require anything physical. Um, it just requires, you know, a certain emphasis in terms of uh, targeting and in from the catchers to help you avoid making those mistakes as often. And I think you're going to see Casey Mai succeed in that regard. Um, as far as Arania, you know, I, I really like what I've seen from him so far. Um, he, you know, he has a track record in the past of being wild and not striking out that many guys. Um, but I don't see a whole lot of signs of huge regression coming either. You know, if you look at his ex-FIP, um, which is, you know, what his FIP would be with, you know, an expected, normalized expected home run rate for a major league pitcher, it's a lot higher than where his, his ERA is right now, even after yesterday. Um, when he, you know, he definitely did have some command problems. But Jose Arrhenia has, you know, a very seam-shifted wake style of fastball. You know, both the sinker and the four-seamer take advantage of seam-shifted wake. They both move in opposite directions. Um, they look like, based on their spin, that they're the same pitch coming out of his hand. But then the four-seamer basically rides and cuts. And the sinker dives completely away with a ton of arm side run when he really, really dials one in. And pitchers like that are hard to barrel up. Um, Spencer Turnbull is the same type of pitcher. I wrote an article kind of kind of comparing Spencer Turnbull and Jose Arrhenia's fastballs um, back in January. And, you know, Spencer Turnbull has the same characteristic. You know, not necessarily a great pitcher. Um, you know, not necessarily as efficient as Arrhenia has been, certainly either, but both of them have a long track record of not giving up that many home runs, you know, keeping it well below league average. And so I think Arrhenia is probably going to continue to have pretty good success for the most part. Um, he, he's a guy who's hurt by the fact that the Tigers infield defense has been just brutal. Um, even Nico Goodrum, who's, you know, the last three years has been really, really good at shortstop when he's played there, has had some struggles. And Willie Castro, you know, unfortunately has lost the, the shortstop job and kind of does appear liable to use the, the second base job as well. Um, and those guys aren't turning double plays, and that's really what a guy like Oranian needs. Um, you know, if he has a great middle infield, you know, if it was Iglesias Kinsler back there, you'd have boy, you'd have your work cut out for him, for you um, scoring runs on Jose Oranian the way he's, he's pitched in most outings. Um, but yeah, I mean, a one-year deal, I think the Tigers are probably going to be willing to just flip him if they can get something for him. Um, what I would like to see there is the Tigers make that determination though. And if they don't think they're going to get that much for him, you know, if it's just going to be, you know, a couple of roll 40 arms tossed in, I mean, you need that, you need that depth. You need those guys who are actual prospects, um, that, that you can develop. You know, there's such a lack of those guys, as I mentioned earlier at Erie, you know, that you don't really even have that much at Erie to, to work with and, and expect to develop, um, so if you can get something there, that's fine. But if not, I hope what they would do is, yeah, offer an extension then rather than just sort of letting it all play out. Because, you know, he's a pretty useful pitcher. He throws hard and the slider looks pretty good. And while the changeup is, you know, not necessarily a big factor and his command may come and go a little bit, this seems like a really good park for him to pitch in. Um, I have a lot of faith in Chris Fetter and Juan Nieves. Um, Juan Nieves knows Arrhenia really well from their time with the Marlins. I assume that's why Arrhenia was on their radar in the first place and they brought him here. So, you know, this seems to be like a good place for him. Um, his arm looks good. Uh, he's nails um, with runners on base. Um, 
he might be more used than some to uh, to pitching in that kind of traffic, and he seems to kind of thrive in that that situation. So yeah, I've been impressed with them, and I like him. And I wouldn't really just want to give him away for you know whatever measly return comes along. If you're going to trade Boyd, you're going to need a starting pitcher the rest of the year probably anyway. You're going to need that depth, and you know, and that puts you in a situation where you know you're going to need to replace Boyd going into next year. So maybe you keep him for that reason, um, or maybe you sign Justin Verlander, and you know you're not so concerned with the with the rotation because you've got Mize, Manning, Scooble, and you're going to roll with those guys. You know, we'll see what happens with Julio Tehran um, whenever he gets back. Hopefully, uh, sometime this summer, because um, he looked really good in camp. I don't know if they can get the shoulder right, but if they can, I'd be very interested in seeing what else he can do. All right, um, next set of questions comes from Cannon at the Hot Corner. Um, let's see, we've got four here. I think I can probably get them all. Um, which player's offensive stat line do you see being most similar to his overall season numbers? Um, Robbie Grossman, Jamer Candelario, or Akil Badu's, and why? Well, right now I believe Akil Badu, let me see, he's got a 93 WRC+, and, you know, th- that's the one that's that's least likely to hold up. I don't think he's going to st- continue to strike out necessarily at a 42.7% clip, um, but, you know... That early season power surge, it's not fraudulent in terms of, you know, his actual, like, raw power and ability to hit for power, but he's not going to continue to make that much hard contact until he makes, you know, serious adjustments. And I expect that to take, you know, at least much of the year and possibly some of next year. Um, You know, Kiel Badu is still a prospect who should be at the double-A level. He's only 22 years old. He's in way over his head here. Um, we had a good time and, um, and I really like him as a prospect still, and I'm very happy to have him, but you know, they're going to have to kind of protect him some of the rest of the way. Um, and I'm just happy he's up with the major league, you know, major league team working with the major league coaching staff. Um, you see George Lombard in his ear all the time and Akil sitting down, you know, behind AJ Hinch with George Lombard talking about the game a lot. You know, the coaching staff obviously recognizes the future potential and that he's a player that matters long-term, and they're putting that work and time in with him. Um, But, you know, it's just not reasonable to expect a dude to come, you know, basically from low A ball almost. Um, Only had, you know, about a month at high A before he blew out his elbow in 2019 and didn't play the rest of the year. Couldn't play at all in 2020. And then, you know, 2021 has a hot spring training with us um, as a Rule 5 draft pick and rakes the first couple weeks of the season, you know, that was really fun. It, w- it would be nice to think that we were seeing some some monster breakout, you know, and that he was going to turn into a superstar. <clears throat> That's just not that likely, you know. I, I mean, I think long-term Akil Badu is probably, you know, what you would have hoped Jacoby Jones would turn into with a little more discipline. You know, a fast player with good raw power, who, you know, hits for, you know, fairly low average. But in Nikhil's case, you know, he's going to draw some walks probably too. And, you know, he's got those force multipliers. He's got the speed and he's got the power. And when you have that, um, you don't have to make as much contact as some other guys. You know, Harold Castro and Victor Reyes have to hit 300 or they're, you know, wholly useless. Um, You know, Victor Reyes has shown little bursts of being able to do that. And Harold Castro manages to do it, you know, quite successfully. I mean... 15 years ago, Harold Castro would probably be somebody's, like, ideal leadoff man. Um, The game has just changed too much, and you just can't expect, you know, hits to drop that often. You know, you're just going to see the outfield. If Harold Castro keeps this up, you'll just see the outfielders playing him more shallow. 
Um, they'll adjust the shifts on him, and they'll start squeezing up more of those ground balls, and he'll be a, a guy who hits, you know, 260, 270 um, with a sub-300 OBP because he doesn't walk and, you know, no power. So, yeah, that's the problem with the keel. As far as um, Robbie Grossman and Jamer Candelar, I don't know. I mean, I think they're things have turned pretty good for them, and they're about where I would expect to see them. Um, Robbie Grossman has a 383 uh, base percentage, courtesy of a 18.4% walk rate. That walk rate is not going to stay that high. Um, but his strikeout rate is actually a little higher than his career norms, and we could see that go down as well. And he's only hitting 225. Um, I think you're going to see more balls in play land for Robbie Grossman, um, especially when you, you factor in the fact that he's, you know, not slow, um, at least average speed. And, you know, he's also shown the ability, you know, just that you can steal bases without being super fast. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, guys like Willie Castro, um, Jacoby Jones, Victor Reyes, you know, struggle mightily to steal bases, despite the fact that they're probably faster, you know, straight line speed runners than Robbie Grossman is because Robbie Grossman knows what he's doing out there. Um, and hopefully he can, you know, impart some of that wisdom to some of those other guys. Uh, right now, Robbie Grossman has a 116 um, WRC plus, so he's 16% above league average production. Last year, he had a 127, um, and that was kind of a breakout for him where, you know, he's always been a guy who gets on base and plays solid defense and, and does a lot of things right, but he just hadn't hit for enough power. Um, they made a little change in his swing um, when he was with Oakland and really unlocked, you know, substantially more power. He hit eight home runs in 51 games last year. And that's probably not going to 100% carry over, but I do think we're going to see Robbie hit for a little more power than we've seen such far. Um, so far, um, he launched one on Saturday. Um, I was at that game in person. Um, that was a nice swing. Crunched that one out of there. I think you're going to see Robbie Grossman sustain something in the neighborhood of a you know 105 to 115 WRC plus um, all season long. So I'd say he's probably my best bet to sustain where they're at right now. Um, Jamer Candelario is also, you know, if you look through his numbers, like everything makes sense. You know, he's got a 115 WRC plus, um, he's got three home runs, um, 9.2% walk rate, 24.8% strikeout rate. Those are pretty much all where they should be. Um, his BABIP is high right now, but, um, Jamer is the type of hitter who hits a lot of line drives and generally, you know, hits the ball reasonably hard. And as a result, his BABIP probably should be a little higher um, than normal. I think what you're going to see is the BABIP come down, maybe the average come down a little bit, but you're also going to see him um, start to find the power stroke a little bit more often through the summer and probably sustain something pretty close to that production. So if you want me to pick, I'll say Robbie because we've seen this, the underlying skills with him longer than we've seen them with Jamer because Robbie Grossman is a, you know, a veteran who's over 30 years old. Um, so I think he's going to sustain it a little more comfortably, but um, I think um, both he and Jamer probably will, you know, be good, productive hitters all year long for us. Um, they'll have their slumps. They'll have their moments too. But overall, I've been um, very pleased with both of them. Okay, next question. Whose current ERA do you see do you see being the most similar to their overall season ERA when the season is completed? Uh, Matt Boyd, Jose Arena, Michael Fulmer, or Brian Garcia, and why? Hmm. Well, Matt Boyd has a 2.27 ERA, um, and his FIP is 
I don't like that at all. I, I have no confidence in that um, that sustaining. <laughs> uh, if Matt Boyd continues to pitch, you know, well and suppress home runs and we see the strikeouts, you know, come back even as, you know, the home runs are going to normalize a little bit. Right now he's got .25 home runs per nine. Um, you know, the last couple of years it's been over two home runs per nine innings. Um, I, I will uh, perfectly be willing to split the difference, but it's probably going to be a little more than that, despite the fact that, you know, the, the ball isn't flying quite as far. Um, Major League Baseball, in their wisdom, has tweaked it once again, and it's not flying out as far, um, and it's also moving it's se- seemingly a little more out of pitchers' hands, which is making things even harder um, because these people are morons and don't know how to run the game, and their solution... to get more offense was to take away home runs um, while doing so in a fashion that apparently makes the ball (laughs) move a little bit more and, uh, and be even harder to hit. I mean, it's, it's just a comedy, just a a sad comedy right now. Um, So, I mean, I think Boyd is probably going to suppress home runs compared to, you know, some of what he's done in the past. And I think the strikeouts will come back, Uh, but I would put his ERA probably something closer to four, um, you know, through the summer months. I mean, when you look to trade him, you're probably going to be looking to trade him as, you know, kind of a, kind of a fifth, eh, fourth, fifth starter type. Um, if he keeps this up, like I said earlier, like, yeah, you should be demanding, you know, a a 50 future value prospect, you know, a guy, maybe, um, if you look at Fangraph's top 100 list, you know, someone from say 60 to a hundred, someone in there, um, depending on, you know, what team you're looking to deal with and what their needs are. Um, and hoping that Alavila can actually, you know, get, get what you need back. Um, he did when they, when they traded for Jamer, I'll give him that one. Um, Willie Castro was a good return for Leonis Martin. Um, I got a lot in the negative column though. <laughs> so let's see, um, Arania 3.6 ERA. I kind of like that. I, I kind of think he can sustain that. Um, especially if, and this is where these questions start to spiral out into uh, whole roster situations. But, I mean, I kind of feel like unless Willie Castro really, really gets hot with the bat pretty quickly, um, he's going to end up in Toledo. Um, they might even, you know, be ready to, to start trying him in the outfield because, you know, there's just too many flaws. I mean, moving him to second base might help a little bit, but um, but it's still, you know, the throwing, it's still, you know, not being conscious of what's going on around him at, at a speed fast enough to play in the infield with balls coming at you, you know, at 110 miles per hour from, you know, 110, 120 feet away, um, trying to turn those double plays, uh, you know, Willie Castro, his transfer is just terrible. Um, you know, you contrast him with, with, you know, the ludicrous magician hands of someone like uh, Jose Iglesias or Javi Baez. And I mean, it's just almost completely the other end of the spectrum. Um, and maybe there's some lack of confidence there because he's not hitting. Maybe things would come together for him a little bit if things get better at the plate. But um, but point being, you know, I, I think the Tigers' infield defense will get better as the season goes along. I think you'll see, you know, Itzhak Paredes play second base at some points. You'll see Zach Short um, at shortstop and second base at points. And that should help Urania to a reasonable degree. Um so yeah, I think uh, he can continue kind of being a ground ball machine who just doesn't give up the big hit and and give up the you know the big damage too often. Um, so I I could see, I'm, I guess the first, the thing I should add here is that probably overall ERAs are going to be down this year um, from where they were last year in general league league wide. So 
you know, when I say, yeah, Arena is probably going to finish with like a 3.75, you know, maybe a 4 ERA, that might only be league average this year, whereas in the past couple of years, league average has crept up, you know, over 4.5. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, Michael Fulmer, I actually think Michael, Michael Fulmer has a 3.96 ERA right now, and I think that'll go down if they um, actually figure out what the heck they want to do with him. Um, you know, if he's in the bullpen, the way he's the way he's been pitching, I would expect his ERA to decline substantially and probably be down, you know, somewhere in the three level where a, you know, non-elite but good relief pitcher's um, ERA probably will will check out. Um, ERA, of course, is always problematic because ERA is the results, but, um, you know, we focus on process to figure out what's going to happen long-term with enough sample size. Um, and we can go a lot deeper than FIP nowadays because we have all the contact data so, yeah, you know, keep that in mind. But, yeah, I mean, Michael Fulmer, the way he's pitching, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if his ERA was, was pretty close to three by the time it's all said and done, especially if they keep him in the bullpen. Um, if he's, uh, you know, if he's starting, it's just hard to tell if he's going to in, increase that durability and be able to carry his best fastball into the middle innings or not. We've seen some starts where he, he couldn't. Um, the start in Boston where he got lit up in the first inning, everything looked really flat. And then he came out the next night to close the thing in, you know, in extras and was pumping 96, 97, and it was lively again. So, you know, he's still coming back from Tommy John surgery. There is, there is that factor. And that's why um, projecting his ERA is probably even more complicated than, than anybody else's. Uh, Brian Garcia, where's Brian Garcia? I think it's pretty high. Yeah. Six, five, seven ERA. Yeah. I mean, that's going to come down. Um, what's been odd with Brian Garcia is the walks um, and, and just the overall lack of command. Um, he doesn't have that great of stuff. You know, he's kind of got like three slightly above average pitches is how I would describe it. But with command and with mixing them properly and sequencing well against hitters, um, he could be a, an effective relief pitcher. I kind of look at him, you know, as like, the best Buck Farmer, you know, like the the best, you know, Buck Farmer ever was. I think Brian Garcia will ultimately kind of check out there as sort of a a, a quality seventh inning type guy. Um, and yeah, six five seven ERA. I mean, I, I think that's going to go down. Um, he's had, he's his strand rate is atrocious right now. It's like sixty one percent. So when things have started to go bad, and it's only twelve point, you know, at twelve and one third innings. Um, that's a very small sample of innings, even for a relief pitcher. Um, yeah, I think you're going to see that ERA plummet somewhere into the low fours, um, high threes, somewhere in that vicinity over time, as long as he's healthy and everything goes well. Um, all disclaimers, um, you know, waivers, laws applicable in the state of your origin, etc. Okay, and then Cannon at the hot corner continues on. Um, question number three, what record do you realistically see Detroit finishing with, and does that include a summer trade fiesta? I think you're going to see some trades. I mean, I do think there's there's a couple guys that you, you would really be foolhardy not to move. Um, you know, it's like, to go back to Matt Boyd again, you'd like to see Matt Boyd keep this up and be awesome, um, you know, and, and really hope to land a, you know, a good prospect like a, you know, but I don't think you can, you know, guarantee that. And you certainly can't just wait until next July because by then, even if he's pitching the base, best baseball of his life, teams just aren't going to give you that much for, you know, a, a solid starting pitcher with, with two months of team control left. Um, you know, he's cheap. 
He, um, even in arbitration, he's not making that much money. He should be worth a decent chunk as long as um, you know he can he can sustain as like a mid rotation starter into July. And so yeah, I mean, I th- I think you can expect him going and probably someone else along the way. Uh, you might even see Robbie Grossman get traded. Um, I can think of a, a whole lot of whole lot of teams starting with the the Twins who might need themselves a good corner outfielder who gets on base a ton and sets the table. Um, you know, the Angels might want that as well. And you know, if Greg Soto is pitching well, you know. You have to be able to leverage a pretty darn good return for a guy with elite stuff, um, even though you know he still has a tendency to to have a, a meltdown here and again. So yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see some trades, and that it, that probably is going to undercut the potential um, for the for the final record. You know, I, I predicted I when I predict 70, 70 wins. Thought I was being a little optimistic there, but I I liked you know adding Mazzara. I really liked adding Grossman. I assumed that Jamer Candelario had finally kind of put it together. I didn't think Willie Castro would completely implode um, just because his BABIP was so high last year. I thought you might still get something relatively close to league average production. Um, You know, and you expect something close to league average production out of Jonathan Scope. Um, I like the rotation coming into the season. The bullpen obviously didn't have a whole lot of depth there, but, you know, having Cisnero behind Soto hoping that Garcia would, you know, kind of kind of build on what he did last year and thinking that, you know, probably one of these starters is going to be in the bullpen for much of the season. I didn't expect the bullpen to be this terrible either. Um, so, but the other thing about that is that I really like this coaching staff. And while, unfortunately, despite the fact that they're theoretically a rebuilding team, this isn't a young team, um, I don't think that these guys have had a whole lot of great coaching over the last two or three years. And I do think that this coaching staff is going to have an impact. I do think you're going to see players improve over the course of the season. I do think you're going to see a few guys at Toledo who can come up and help you. Um, And that's obviously Matt Manning, Itzhak Paredes, um, you know, Zach Short as potentially even a starter for a little while, but, you know, ultimately a, a pretty nice utility man. You know, Cody Clemens was off to a pretty good start. Um, you know, Willie Peralta, former starter who's down at Toledo, you know, throwing 97, 98 with a solid breaking ball. Um, he's a guy who might be able to help you out. And if Fulmer's in the bullpen, you know, that probably helps you out as well. Now, the fact that they've gotten off to such a terrible start, you know, I'm pretty much projecting them now to win 62 games, which probably still seems somewhat optimistic. Um, but you know, I, I just don't really believe that the offense was anywhere near as bad as we saw the first, you know, month of the season. So I'm expecting that to improve substantially and them to be, you know, one of the, you know, probably one of the five worst offenses in in baseball, but not nearly, you know, like an absolute trash fire um, like they were. So I'll still, I'll still say 62. That's probably, that's probably a little optimistic because yeah, they may trade a few people away, but, um, but I think you're going to see this team improve and play together better and, you know, just, just get more out of what they've got on the field um, as they go along, largely because of the coaching staff. So um, if you don't believe in the coaching staff and that they're going to have an impact on Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, then, oh boy, do we have some problems, child. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go along with that. Um, and then how would you fix the, um, this is Cannon at the Hot Corner's final question, how would you fix the 230 league-wide batting average, or does it even need to be fixed? I do think it does need to be fixed um, somewhat. I just don't think the league has has approached it with any sense really at all. Um, 
fundamentally, if we think about what is exciting about baseball, what produces tension, yeah, it's bottom of the ninth, you know, big hitter at the plate. Sometimes it's a, you know, it's a little squeeze play. Um, sometimes it's just dominant pitching, which is awesome and I love to watch. But base runners is the source of most of the tension in baseball, you know, having to hold a runner on at first. Um, guys having to turn a double play quickly or allow a runner into scoring position. You know, runners on base is tension in baseball. That That's where the pressure lies. That's what makes, you know, an inning a pressure cooker. Whereas, you know, a guy can strike out three batters in an inning and give up a solo shot somewhere in there, which is not striking out the side, Matt Shepard. Um, you know, and then there's not a lot of drama, even though you gave up a run. Um, there's a lot more drama in an inning where, you know, there's a leadoff walk and then a strikeout and then a single and the runners, you know, advances to third and now you're under pressure. And is the guy on first going to try to steal second, hoping that you throw through all that stuff? You know, that that is where the game derives much, at least much of its drama from. So, yeah, I mean, I think they, they, I mean, they need to do something. Um you know, I'm not opposed to reigning in the shift somewhat and saying that you have to have two guys on both sides of, of second base or something along those lines. I think tweaking the ball every year, not only is it wildly unpredictable sort of to have the, the fundamental object at the center of your sport changing its character, you know, this often and, and not really in a way that seems like, you know, Rawlings in the league has figured out how to do this um, with any kind of, you know, just not to the to the level of tolerances that would be required to to be able to produce these baseballs and make them fly exactly how you want and you're also you know changing slightly the ball weight and the cover and the seam height and that messes with pitchers um you know you might see more pitcher injuries this year just because the ball you know apparently is like you know just that that whatever it is i think i read like 0.3 of an ounce lighter this year on average uh, you know, something like that really, really could hurt pitchers. Um, you know, they need pitching is just such a, you know, you're just redlined when you're a starting pitcher in particular, all these guys are throwing max velocity. You know, w- we look at them often, um, you know, fans who are my age in their mid forties and older, like all oh, these guys, you know, can't even go deep into games anymore, but these guys are throwing, you know, 95 to 98 most of the time. Um, you know, whereas back in the eighties, even the hard throwers threw 90 most of the time, and then they would ramp it up, you know, from 90, 91, 92, and bring out their best fastball when they needed it. And then you'd see 94, 95, 96, you know. Even Dwight Gooden and, you know, Nolan Ryan in the 80s weren't going out there pumping 97, 98 constantly, um, the way Jacob deGrom and, and many, many others are. So, you know, you, there's only so much you're going to be able to do to get more balls in play because there are going to be a lot of strikeouts and I don't want the mound move back. You know, you could consider lowering it a little bit. If you want to, you could use the automated strike zone to make sure that, you know, the strike zone is called much more accurately, which would, which would favor hitters ultimately because they would get a finer and finer understanding of, of what exactly the strike zone is and not have to worry about, you know, a ball length outside for this guy or this guy framed this pitch perfectly on you. Um, all those little things could help. But for me, I like my simple solution to this has just been to make outfields bigger again. I think if, if more parks played the way Comerica Park do, does the game would be a lot more interesting. You know, you, there'd be more doubles and triples. 
you know, you'd have to emphasize speed players in the outfield more to play good defense. Um, that would probably cut into offense a little bit, which is the problem because the more you're looking at guys who have speed, the more you're going to have to leave out a few of the guys who have power. If it was me, I would just leave the ball juiced. Um, do what you do what you got to do with the shift, and encourage you know more base running when guys are on base. Um, you know, there's a lot of pickoff moves that are very close to to being boxed, especially the lefties right now. Um, I can't even tell you quite what a balk is um, from a left-handed pitcher at this point. And they could tighten that up to allow more runners to get better leads. You know, they're also talking about either using the safety bag at first base, um, which is, you know, basically two bags smushed together so that the hitter goes to one and the fielder only has to, the first baseman only has to touch the base that's inside the line, you know, to avoid collisions, to avoid ankle breaking, you know, just, just, to avoid those kind of random collisions that can happen. And all that seems smart, but another idea I've also heard is just to make the bags bigger. I kind of like that too. Like what if the bags were all, you know, two inches wider all the way around, you know, four square inches bigger. You know, that gives you an extra, you know, couple inches as a, as a base runner where you're actually closer to the next base. And the bases, the center of the bases is still still 90 feet apart. So that's perfectly legit, but the distance is just tweaked just, just enough that, you know, you might see more stolen bases. You might see slightly more, you know, going to third from second on a fly ball. You might see a few more guys score from third base and some of those subtle things like that, like you wouldn't even notice it. You wouldn't, you know, if you, if they didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't, you might think, oh, the bag looks a little bigger. That's kind of weird, but you wouldn't notice it. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't pop. It doesn't really impact the game. And that's, that's what I want. Um, you know, obviously, I'd like to see bigger outfields, but, uh, you know, pushing the walls back is a, a bit more of an operation <laughs> than some, some of these other ideas. Um, I, I just would like to see, you know, outfields be sizable again and, you know, there, there be wide receiver-looking athletes running around all over the place hauling baseballs in um, and doubles and triples and guys trying to advance and guys with good arms in the arts out in the outfield trying to peg them down um you know all, all those little elements and so you know the 230 league-wide batting average maybe that'll get a little better as the season goes along um you know typically the first month of the season is not a good month for offense so we'll have to see how this all plays out but anyway those those would be um kind of my first first couple ideas off the top of my head out of uh, what we've been thinking about um Buranobu asks, under the Raider prospects, outside the top-rated prospects, which do you think have a chance to make it to Detroit? Um, kind of mentions Ryan Kreidler, Jacob Robson, Andre Lipsius, um, Cooper Johnson, Wenzel Perez. Um, those are all guys who've, yeah, who've kind of gotten off to um, a, a pretty nice start. Um, well, just to... You know, to kind of dial in what we mean by make it to Detroit, I, I'm going to assume that you're you're looking for guys who are actually going to stick in in some kind of a role. You know, a lot of people might get a look. Um, I already kind of mentioned that you know, Erie's roster is is packed with career minor leaguers who are probably going to have you know good seasons and post good numbers down there, and it won't won't surprise me, you know, if the Eastern League um, gets throttled a bit by the SeaWolves offense, despite the fact that their their pitching is. Um, somewhat woeful from what I can tell so far, um, looking through that, uh, that pitching staff, but 
you never know. Maybe someone will come out of nowhere. Um, you know, the Tigers, I, I guess the thing I can mention here is, you know, like I said earlier, the Tigers have, you know, finally accepted that their player development system was terrible um, and made some changes, you know, bringing in Kenny Graham after the 2019 season to take over as director of player development. They brought in Dan Hubbs from USC, um, USC's head coach, um, really good with pitch design, um, was kind of known there for finding, you know, finding prep players who weren't particularly on the radar and turning them into solid college pitchers. Um, you know, they've got that going for them. They've got um, Joel McKeithian, who's a, a, a driveline affiliated hitting coach, is now their minor, minor league hitting coordinator. So they have made some changes. So, you know, hopefully we will see a little bit um, better development curve coming out of the minor leagues. I guess, uh, I, I mean, I am a fan of Andre Lipsius. Um, I, I think he could turn out to be a very, very useful utility player and maybe maybe even um, a guy who, you know, moves around the infield but, you know, gives you quality at bats, average hitting, average power, and um, and solid defense. I think he flies a little bit under the radar. Uh, I really, you know... I don't want to make too much out of the fact that he studied nuclear engineering, but I, I really like a smart player when it comes to, you know, guys who don't necessarily have the, the tools of your average, you know, major league good player or obviously star superstar, um, you know, finding those small edges for yourself, you know, understanding how you're being pitched, um, understanding where you need to shore up your game and, you know, having the, the mindset to evaluate yourself, you know, very critically and make those, those changes are things that are crucial to a guy who, you know, is looking to become kind of a role player and probably doesn't really have a career as a, a, a good major league starter ahead of them. So, yeah, I mean, I like Lipsius. Um, I'm a fan of Kyder Montero who, Oh boy, I can't remember off the top of my head. I could look, but I'm not going to, um, where we had him ranked on our top 30, somewhere in the mid 20 range, but I'm a, I'm a fan. Um, I, I like Montero's Montero's athleticism. I like his arm action. Um, his fastball isn't, isn't crazy good, but he's still young and he has a, just a monster breaking ball. I mean, you know, it's a 3000 RPM absolute yacker. Um, I've also seen, you know, some change-ups from him that, where he showed pretty good arm action and those had some tumble on him as well. Um, so he's a guy, you know, I, I like, um, you know, Bryant Packard, I'm not quite sure if he qualifies, although he's, he's certainly not, you know, regarded as a guy who's going to be a major league regular, but he's, he's someone I like, um, of course, um, should be a pretty good hitter. Doesn't, doesn't provide you much defensive value and isn't going to mash the way, you know, you would want for a guy who's probably going to play, you know, maybe left field, mostly first base. Um, and so he's probably going to be more of a, a bench bat type, but you know, I think he could figure it out. As far as Kreidler, you know, I mean, Kreidler's a solid, solid little player with more power than, than you'd think he has. Um, you know, he, he's pretty well built. He's not a little guy. Um, I don't. I haven't seen enough of him at shortstop to really, really judge whether he has any chance to stick at shortstop, which he probably would need to. I mean, he'd probably be, probably need to be a good enough defensive player to play shortstop at the major league level for that bat to to carry. But you know, he has an outside shot. Um, the reason I brought up Erie and all their veterans is because you know, yeah, Jacob Robson's probably going to have a really good season down there. Um, but you know, we've already seen him at AAA, and he's a guy who 
doesn't make too much hard contact, um, is pretty vulnerable to velocity and hits the ball on, on the ground a lot. And, you know, that until they get rid of the shift, that just doesn't work a lot, even for a guy who, you know, can run, is probably a plus, a plus runner, um, solid defensive center fielder, not above average, but but solid. And then, yeah, you know, Wenzel has been on the radar a little bit too and is off to a good start. But, you know, of course, he's, you know, he's repeating a level after, you know, a whole season away where they didn't get to play. Um, so I'm not going to take a whole lot out of what he does at Lakeland. Um, he's there because, you know, they're prioritizing Gage Workman, who is playing shortstop for the most part um, for Lakeland. And Trey Cruz is playing shortstop. Uh, he was drafted in 2020 in the third round. Trey Cruz is playing shortstop for um, West Michigan. And so Wenzel's kind of got bumped down, you know, bumped down the chain again. I, I think Wenzel might have a higher, you know, might have a higher ceiling actually than, than, um, than Cruz. Um, Workman has the higher season, higher ceiling of the three of them. Um, I, I like Gage Workman. I mean, his swing is a little bit groove from the left side. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be that good of a hitter, but he plays a really good third base, might be able to play shortstop well enough. And he's got, you know, good power and he can run a little bit. Um, you know, that's a guy who, who has plenty of tools. Another guy who, you know, we saw in, I can't remember quite when he popped. It was, it was like late 2018. Um, Carlos Guzman, right-hander. Um, you know, you're going to see him back this year um, after some arm trouble. And I don't know. I don't know that I think he's a guy who really has it to, in him to be a starter, but we haven't seen him in such a long time. I'm going to keep an eye out, but he had a pretty good fastball, um, you know, had some feel for the changeup and, you know, pretty advanced strike throwing. I thought, um, you know, the first go around when we got looks at him. So he'll be another one um, as far as the pitchers go. Yeah. It's kind of him and Montero for me right now. Um, there's some other starting arms down there who might, might do something and might develop into more of a relief profile. Um, and you know, there's, you know, there's some hard throwers down there. I mean, you still got Vladimir Pinto, you still got Max Green, um, down there in the lower minors or at Erie. There's, there's some guys like that who might, um, eventually make it up. Cooper Johnson, you know, I haven't really, I just haven't really seen enough of, you know, it seems like he has a, a chance to be a backup. The Tigers seem to like, um, like the bat pretty well. He's got solid defensive school skills, not anything that's um, that's going to be eye-popping. But, um, yeah, he, he might eventually make it and, you know, at least get some looks at the major league level. Um, you know, in 2023, 2024, he might be, like, your third catcher. Um, I could see that behind Dingler and, you know, whatever, maybe Rodgers or, or whoever else. Um, Sam McMillan just doesn't really quite look like he has enough um, of an arm. Um, behind the plate to really make it as a catcher um, has good plate discipline, but um, not not particularly good contact ability. I don't really see anything going on there. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else um, among people you didn't mention who I I would like to like to mention. Eh, I don't know. Nick Quintana is off to a, a a decent start with Lakeland. Um, it couldn't be any worse than, than what, what we saw um, from him post draft in 2019. So. You never know. Maybe he'll make it there. But if you're looking for, if if the thrust of your question is, are there guys that you haven't really heard the name of a lot who might develop into being, you know, really good players, your best bet is to look mostly for the young um, international free agents who are, you know, starting to make it into the A-ball level. Um, and you've also got Colt Keith, who the Tigers drafted um, prep shortstop in the fifth round and managed to sign in the 2020 draft. Um, he's got power. Um, he's got a big arm. 
Um, probably more of a third baseman than a shortstop. But, um, but you know, very young, obviously, just 19 years old. He's a guy who could develop. And then, yeah, the international free agents you want to keep an eye on are, you know, Jose De La Cruz down at, um, down at Lakeland. Uh, he's got big-time power. Um, he's already posted some, some really nice exit velocity numbers. You know, maybe doesn't have that much projection left um, physically. Um, and another guy whose swing looks, you know, fairly grooved and, and, and may not really develop into a, um, a league average type hitter, but might, might approach it and, um, and cash in enough of his power that it doesn't matter. Um, he could be a good player. Adenso Reyes, I think out of, out of that group might be the best pure hitter. Um, he's another one. He's a third baseman. He's a big kid. Um, doesn't really have the, the raw power that you'd like to see from someone his size, but he could, could keep getting into better shape, um, and, and potentially find a little bit more there. And he's got the contact ability to make it work. Um, Alvaro Gonzalez is a shortstop. The Tigers signed, I think, in the 2017 signing period. Um, he's probably going to play a little GCL this year, and you might see him. One thing that's going to be tricky this year is that, you know, we don't have Connecticut. Um, you know, the New York Penn League is, um, is def- I think, well, if it's not defunct, it's not affiliated anymore. And um, maybe they're still trying to figure that out. But some of those um, some of those guys who are just coming stateside and are going to play the GCL, you know, it's it's going to be a question for the Tigers whether or not they want to bump them up to um, to Lake, you know, to regular Lakeland A ball, or whether or not they're going to you know try to let them find their way in the GCL this year and then and then push them up. So we'll have to see what happens with Alvaro Gonzalez, um, you know, and behind him, you know, it's. Roberto Campos and Christian Santana, who are the Tigers' two big international free agent signings the past two periods, um, those guys are still in their teens, and you know we're not going to see them in A ball for probably maybe Campos next year. I suppose isn't impossible um, if things are going the way you would hope they would, but um, but you know Santana's probably you know three years from from coming on the scene. So, you know, if you're looking for where is the next big prospect who might actually pop into the top 100 somewhere down the road um, who we're not thinking about yet, those are the the type of guys that, um, that you know, that you should be um, keeping track of this year. Um, let's see, we got one final question. Actually, some of you guys kind of put these all together that, um, yeah, kind of overlap with some of the Twitter people. So, yeah, again, I'm just going to stick with these. Um, let's see from Will Gipsy Dipsy, Willie Castro, what's the plan? Um, the Tigers have started easing him out of second base over or shortstop over to second base. The talk is they might make a center fielder out of him. Are they going to ever let him run a little bit when he gets on base? Um, I think Willie just hasn't shown a whole lot of good ability to re- read pitchers yet. Um, and he just also hasn't, hasn't been on base enough. <laughs> so I, I don't know, you know, I, I assume that's something they would like to work on, but we haven't even um, seen him on base enough to, to really get that many chances to run. As far as um, him moving to center field, you know, I, I saw A.J. Hinch mention in a presser in spring training just the possibility that Willie Castro, you know, they don't know, you know, like we're going to try him out and here and there, and maybe we'll see, maybe um, it would be better for him to move to the outfield. So that's kind of what cued us to think about that. Um, my buddy Mark Arash immediately leapt on that and said, yeah, just make him a center fielder. Um, you know, he's, he's just not a major league caliber infielder. Um, I think that part of it is true. And Willie Castro can run, so maybe center field would work for him. Um, I don't know. You know, we, I would think, would would be likely to find out. Because if the bat doesn't come on real quick, you know, and Itzhak Paredes or Zach Short 
keeps hitting. Um, Short's off to a really good start. Um, Paredes hasn't done a whole lot yet, but he's got a few hits and um, has drawn some walks and, you know, looks like himself. Like, you know, it's just, you know, can Itak Paredes hit for more power? Because if he can't, I don't really know what the use of him is other than, you know, sort of a, a utility player who, you know, handles the bat well, um, get, may, may get a lot of hits, but won't hit enough, you know, hit for enough power to play him every day because he doesn't have much defensive value. Um, you know, looked up, looked reasonably good at second base, like probably would, would be average ish there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really know what they're going to do with Willie Castro and I don't know that they're thinking about making him a center fielder, but right now that seems like a pretty good idea. Um, and he is, of course, looking like he might need a tune-up um, with the bat anyway. So those two things you would think would go hand-in-hand, hand and they would just give it give it that time in the minor leagues. Um, if you're going to call it Paredes or short, give him a long look, you know. Give him, uh, give him two, three months and let Willie Castro work on that stuff in the minors. Um, why don't the Tigers hire some successful closer to teach their closers in the system how... To close, I assume you're kind of being in a, you know, in terms of mentality. Yeah, okay. Not just to get out, get outs, but to understand the mental toughness um, in terms of how to be successful. Um, I don't know. It's, it's so hard because the thing happens all the time where, you know, the guy who is the best at doing it can't explain it, you know. Um, I don't know if you could hire Mariano Rivera and he could tell you anything that that you really needed to know other than, you know, the basics of, of how to prepare. Um, I think the Tigers probably have some people who could, you know, who could probably do that for him um, as is. Uh, as far as the minor leagues, I don't really know. Um, you know, I'm happy that they, they made these, these changes in the development system and some of the coaches there. Um, but especially in the garden hire era, you know, a lot of the coaches, you know, like Lance Parrish, some of those guys are just old ball players who are there to, you know, kind of babysit the players, you know, teach teach the fundamentals and not make any major changes to them, um, you know, try to keep their spirits up and otherwise, you know, hang out and live the baseball lifestyle and play cards with the other coaches at night and have a few beers and, you know, travel around and do, you know, and have a good time. I don't really think there was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of what I would describe as like major league caliber coaching um, going on in the, in the system. And as far as the, you know, the, the affiliate coaching staffs, I still don't really know, you know, how much is going on there. I know AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter are on the phone with their counterparts at all four levels at all, you know, every week, every couple of days. Um, keeping track of what's going on, which might speak to, you know, a little bit more of a organization-wide emphasis on certain things, um, you know, rather than having, you know, Erie's pitching coach trying to figure out what to do with these guys. You know, you would have Chris Fetter and Dan Hubbs and, um, you know, and the other might, oh, geez, I'm, I'm blanking and I'm, and I feel bad. Um, their minor league pitching coordinator. Ugh. Anyway, those guys getting together, coming up with plans for the prospects and for the other guys down there, giving that to the, the minor league pitching coach at that affiliate and checking in with them, you know, and, and kind of having that like unified approach. We've been hearing about, and some of you will, will just roll your eyes hearing the phrase, the Tigers way, but you know, we've been hearing about the Tigers way and how they were going to come up with, you know, this integrated, you know, organization wide program for how they were going to do 
things that every aspect of the game, how they were going to teach the game, how they were going to evaluate it. Um, you know, all that stuff. Um, I never really saw any sign of, of such a, such a thing in either the Brad Osmus or Ron Gardenhire tenure, even though they keep talking about it. But, um, but this feels a lot more like the integrated Tigers way starting to develop because AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter recognize that this, you know, for them to be successful and to not, you know, carry a fairly lousy major league team out there every year, you know, they're going to need, they need to take a larger hand in what goes on at all levels um, in terms of developing the young players. And I think, you know, long-term that will bear fruit. Um, as far as, you know, the mentality of being a closer, I, I really think you just kind of have to do it. Um, one of the interesting things about the fact that they, you know, they implemented the runner on second rule in extra innings in the minors, which I like in the minors, um, don't like it at the major league level, but in the minors, I like it because it, it's a teaching opportunity where you can put a future closer into a game where he's already got a runner in scoring position and has to deal with that situation. Um, and that's a little bit different, you know, than, um, than coming into the ninth inning with a three run lead. So I, I like, you know, the fact that there are those extra little opportunities to put guys in tough situations and get them used to it. But I really think that's what it comes down to. You know, you've got to have the mentality to come into the game and love going from zero to a hundred where, you know, you weren't in the game and now the entire game rests on your shoulders and you've got a chance to close it out. Um, seeing Michael Fulmer rise to the occasion like that the other night was, was pretty cool because you know, Michael Fulmer can get a head full of steam going and is a very aggressive minded pitcher. Um, and you know, had probably, you know, who knows when the last time Michael Fulmer closed out a game was, um, you know, with the win like that, you know, there, there's a unique feeling to being a guy who gets those, those save situations, um, that is different than, you know, the hold situations in the, in the seventh or the eighth. And, you know, some guys kind of have that, that attitude and some guys don't, but I don't know that you can teach it so much as recognize who has the, the stuff and the mindset to do it and put them in those situations as much as possible in the minor leagues so that, you know, by the time they get to the major leagues, they're, you know, they're used to it. They're used to coming into a mess, you know. Um, this kind of goes into the, the last question um, from Tanglefoot about unexpected strengths or weaknesses revealed in Hinch's managerial style. You know, one of the things I know a lot of people aren't liking and that I am liking is the fact that he's just changing things up on these guys constantly. Um, you know, there are, you know, there's Robbie Grossman and there's Jamer Candelario and Miguel Cabrera and Wilson Ramos. Like, those are your four, like, legit major league players who are established in, in some form or another as regulars. Um, everybody else, you know, is either, you know, in, in rare cases, like Lily Castro is young and trying to figure it out. But for the most part, the rest of these guys are, you know, 26, 27, 28. Jacoby Jones is 29. You know, it's time to, you know, not be comfortable. It's time to not be coddled. Um, the, the thing I see in A.J. Hinch is that he's coming from an organization that was playing, you know, the best caliber baseball possible for year after year. And then he's coming in and now he's seeing this completely lower level of caliber baseball. And he's going to try to make you play major league, you know, world series championship caliber baseball. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, they're delusional and think that your skills, you know, are suddenly going to, going to ramp up to a, you know, a much higher level, but he's going to put you in those situations where you're under pressure, where you're not comfortable. Um, 
you know, and if you're not performing, you might get moved, you might get benched. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot less sentimentality going on here and it's, it's long past due in my opinion to really, really push these guys. Um, and, and just for their own good, you know, I mean, does Jacoby Jones realize that his major league career is, you know, hanging? Um, you know, the same is true of, you know, Victor Reyes and, and several other guys out there. Some of the pitchers, you know, Buck Farmer, you know, they, they tried everything with Buck Farmer for years. And then he finally had one good year of relief. And then last year he, he had an injury, groin injury. Maybe that's part of what's gone on um, with him. But they didn't wait very long to cut him loose because he wasn't performing. Um, and, you know, they're more than willing to do that um, in a way that, you know, the the previous coaching staff and the front office were not, um, you know, they, I mean, they just held on to everybody, no matter how little chance they, you know, they had to make it. Um, they, they were just shuffling, you know, career minor leaguers around all, all over the field and not even really making deals for, you know, for guys who were just blocked, even, even guys who weren't particularly good prospects, um, you know, and trying some younger guys who happened to be available. Um, you know, it was, it was just all very stagnant. And so, I mean, I think overall, I mean, that's what I'm liking about A.J. Hinch is he's, you know, he's going to do what's right for these players by forcing them to either be good or get out, you know, um, get on with your life and go get a job if you can't, you know, if you can't hack it here anymore. Um, so, I don't know, overall, like, that impression uh, of A.J. Hinch so, so far has been a big positive for me, and it might be uncomfortable, um, you know, you might see a guy that you were hoping would figure it out, you know, booted to the curb, and sometimes that sucks. Um, I feel like we have no choice but to put our, um, our faith in AJ Hinch, Chris Fetter, Juan Nieves, Scott Coolbaugh, um, the coaching staff that they've, they've assembled. George Lombard is, you know, very good, very well regarded. Um, all these guys could have got jobs with better teams elsewhere, um, but they wanted to work with AJ Hinch and the Tigers are very lucky to land AJ Hinch, whatever you think, you know, or whatever you hold against him from the Astros scandal. Um, you know, this is a guy who, who very much knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he was, he was good in player development. He's got a scouting background and he's been a manager of one of the best teams in baseball over the last, you know, six, seven years, um, who's developed an awful lot of players and in his time with the Astros was very, you know, communicative with the front office and involved in some of those, that player evaluation. And so having him, you know, hopefully helping this team make their decisions, um, should be a benefit, and I think this coaching staff is going to continue to pay more and more dividends in the years to come. And I expect to see, you know, Matt Boyd and Urania are off to a good start. And yeah, maybe as we spoke earlier, it won't entirely hold up, but there are some tangible improvements there. And I think overall, these guys are, are going to improve the players who are improvable, and they are going to, you know, rotor rooter their way through the upper parts of this organization and get rid of a lot of guys that just don't really have any, any business taking up space, holding a roster spot. Um, and I think that's, that's long overdue. And I don't think we're really going to see the full impact of it until they've had a, you know, a full year with, with the organization. Uh, but by next year, I think you're going to see a more uniformly high caliber style of play going on on the field and in the upper levels of the farm. And um, it's sorely needed. All right. This turned out to be pretty long. Um, we're already at an hour and uh, 23 minutes here, so I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks a lot for all the questions. Uh, we'll try to be back with um, Ashley sometime in the next week or two. Um, it's got to be better to hear us uh, have a conversation than uh, me just go on and on. 
So thanks for bearing with me this long. Um, we've got some ideas for a few guests coming up too. Um, that gets a little bit easier once the season is kind of in rhythm and people have all their sort of opening month coverage uh, underway. So <clears throat> yeah, I've got a few ideas for people to bring in and um, we'll look to do that. And then, you know, as we get closer to the draft, um, you know, we'll probably try to have Brian Sikowski from Perfect Game back, uh, Benny Servino, and get those guys' take on it. Um, so yeah, we've got some stuff to look forward to like that. Um, the Tigers can't play any worse than they did the first month of the season. It's going to be better. Um, hopefully we'll have a lot more to enjoy as we go along here. Hopefully we'll see Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal start to pick it up and to take it all the way back to the uh, the red pill theme at the beginning. Like, just remember that, you know, that's that's what matters this season um, is guys like Skubal, Mize, Paredes, Willie Castro, and hopefully um, we'll see a lot more progress there and progress throughout the farm system and, you know, get this jalopy of a rebuild uh, up to at least uh, cruising speed. So thanks a lot for joining me. Everybody have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye.